right, if you would, open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we're going to go toward the end of the New Testament as we continue to talk about who God is and how He's at work uh, in, in our world. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and then toward the very end, we'll turn back toward the book of Romans, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, but that'll be toward the very, very end. Right now, we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1. Just a quick word about where we'll be going toward the end. At the end, when we reach the uh, conclusion of the sermon, I'm going to pray over us, and after I pray over us, you're going to be dismissed, and that's when the invitation begins. So you're going to be like, we didn't just show up, but we want to respond to God's Word, and we're going to do that at the end. We're going to say, we're going to pray together, and that will be your time to be dismissed. But if God is working in your heart, and you need someone to pray for you, or you are here, and you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, but today is the day to do that, Know that we're not sending you home. We're giving you an opportunity at that moment to be able to reach out to someone, to pray with someone. What I'm going to do is I will be over in the north side of the lobby, this left side of the lobby as you exit out. If you need someone to pray with you, if you want to ask questions about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, I want you to come right there. So we're going to be doing some work in here to get cleaned up and ready for the second service, but we're not sending you home without a chance to respond to the good news of Jesus. So come and find me. I'll be out there in the lobby. I'd love to pray for you. If you're at home, reach out to us through email. Reach out to us through a connection card, and, and we'll be able to get in touch with you that way. Just a quick reminder about where we are in this sermon series, about God's character and his attributes and how he's at work in the world, trying to catch us up. We have focused a lot, and we will continue to always focus on who it mean, or what it means for God to be Trinity, that one God eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, around the world, is Trinity Sunday in churches. So churches around the world are celebrating the church calendar today as Trinity Sunday. And we remember that the God that we worship, and I'm going to say this later, the God that we worship is not the big man upstairs. We're not talking about this general spiritual force. We are talking about the God who has made himself known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is that God? He is eternally giving and unchangeably good. Everything we talk about this morning, some hard topics about God, he is eternally giving. He is overflowing with life, overflowing with love, and he is unchangeably good. He created all things, and he spoke into the world. He continues to work in the world, as we talked about last week. But he is also holy judge. Now, you're like, oh, can we stick with good and loving and wise. What does it mean that God is holy judge? That he comes, that he responds to sin with wrath, that he responds to sin with justice, that he responds to sin with retribution, that he works in, you're like, whoa, what, what happened to the first part of that picture? What, what I want you to see this morning is that that is good news as well, that we serve a God who is holy judge of the world, holy judge of all of us. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, 
You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, as we begin this morning, I want you to imagine something with me. So go with me on this, kind of, kind of play along. Imagine that you were asked to write a job reference for God. All right, so God comes to you and he says, hey, I'm applying for this new job and I need you to write a job reference for me, okay? Age, uh, eternal. Just write the eight sideways for the infinity sign. Address, everywhere. Uh, strengths, oh man, strengths, like eternally giving, unchangeably good, at least that's what the, what the pastor says. Creative, especially when it comes to designing animals. Uh, quite talkative, when he speaks, things happen. Very strong. Uh, this candidate is wise, kind of a know-it-all at, at times. Uh, loving, compassionate, patient, and then you get to the part of the job application, the job reference form, where it says, could you share with us some of the weaknesses of this candidate? Don't you hate that when you have to be a reference for somebody and they're like, could you share, you know, that we go into the job application or job uh, interview and they say, share with us some of your weaknesses. And you're always trying to figure out, how do I spend my weakness as a strength in this, in this situation? And so how would we talk about this? If God's applying for a job and you're like, hey, list some of the, uh, list some of the weaknesses. Well, you know, he, he does get angry. From, from time to time, and uh, he's been known to have a holier-than-thou personality, a bit judgmental, as in he sees himself as the judge of the whole universe. You see how weird it feels like to try to say, how do I see those things about God and, and explain them? Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Those things about God that he is holy, those things about God that he responds to sin with anger, those things about God that he is judge, can we just all agree, and we know this to be true, those are not weaknesses in God's character. Those aspects of God's character flow from the fact that he is loving and good and kind. When we talk about God, we are not talking about a being who, like us, is torn in his character. Sometimes we're loving, sometimes we're not particularly loving. God is always loving. God is always good. God does not have temper tantrums. God is not judgmental in the way that we are. Because God is good and loving, though, he does respond to sin in very appropriate ways. So what we're going to talk about today is God is holy and God is judge, and then what does that mean for our lives? So go back to verse 15, and let's start there. Verse 15 since it is written, actually, I skipped to 16, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then we get this statement out of Leviticus chapter 19. Since it is written, you shall be holy, God says, for I am holy. 
Let's talk just a minute about this title, not title, but this attribute of God as holy. Now, we understand that when we talk about God as holy, you could go through a 12 to, who knows, 12-week series, year-long series to describe God as holy. So we're just covering the, the basics right here. But when we talk about God as holy, the term holy primarily means for something to be set apart, for something to be distinct. And so when we think about God as holy, God is set apart from all that is sinful, from all that is evil. He is set apart even from all of creation. But when you hear set apart, don't hear cold and distant. When we think about set apart, unfortunately, sometimes I think about my own personality. We can be distant from people. We can be set apart from that. That is not what it means for God to be set apart. God is set apart in the sense that he is completely pure. He is completely holy. He does not in any way approve of or have evil or sin at work in his being. He's completely set apart from sin. We see that in God. But the other part of holiness is the word dedication. So when we think about what does it mean for us to be holy, what does it mean for a being to be holy, it is set apart from sin, separated from sin, dedicated to God. Separated from sin, dedicated, focused on that which is good and pure. What this tells us about God's holiness is God's holiness is about his love and his goodness always shining through. Nothing can obscure or get in the way of God's love and goodness shining through because he is perfectly holy. He is always going to do what is just. He is always going to do what is right. He is always going to act in those ways because he is holy. And this does two things for us. Number one, it shows our need for God. Because we quickly realize that we are not holy in the way that God is holy. That he is completely removed from sin, but that is not true for us. And so we need him. But hear me out on the second part. God's holiness is also what draws us to him. That when you think of God being holy, don't think about God being distant from you. When you think about God being holy, in your mind, think about all of God's love and all of God's light and all of God's goodness being poured out on you. Because he has no evil that would get in the way of that happening. And so we have a God that we need because he is holy, but we also have a God that we desire because he is holy. God's holiness is good news in the world. This is why one of the best ways that you can share the good news of God with other people is just to get rid of that big man in the sky, big man upstairs idea. Because what it does is it diminishes the greatness of our God. It diminishes the holiness of our God. Our God is perfectly holy, separated from sin, dedicated to all that is good and right. We need him, but we not just need him, we want him. He is the God that we desire. This God who is holy, look at what it says right after that in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is the second part of that, that God is judge. God is holy. God is also the one who judges sin. 
Now, let me tell you up front, just so we can kind of lay this out and all be on the same page. This particular sermon about God's character, about who God is as holy and who God is as judge, this particular uh, topic was not picked out this week because of what our world is facing, okay? This was one of those moments that this was planned months ago, and we are in the middle of a week, we are in the middle of a month, let's be honest, we're in the middle of a year, (laughs) where we need a God who is holy and a God who is judge. Because when you look around the world, you don't see a lot of holiness and you don't see a lot of justice. And yet we are talking about, from God's word, one who is able to be perfectly holy, one who is able to judge the world in truth and righteousness. I love Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Remember that when you watch the news. Remember that when you look at the world around you. And that same concept, lest we think it's an Old Testament concept, shows up again here in Revelation chapter 16, that the God always judges in a way that is true and right. Now, there's a word. There's a word here in this verse, in verse 17, that is another point of good news. God judges impartially. <laughs> God is not deceived by appearances. God doesn't show favoritism based on what a person looks like or what a person has done or what a person fakes that they have done. When you look around the world, what are we looking for? We are looking for one who is able to make judgments impartially without being deceived, without being mocked, without being tricked, without showing favoritism or prejudice. What kind of being is able to do that? Our God is right here. He is the one who judges impartially. Now you say, okay, that's good that he judges impartially, but but what about this idea of his anger and his wrath towards sin? Isn't that just the Old Testament God who was like that and the New Testament God shows up in Jesus and he's really nice and the Old Testament God was angry all the time? Don't get sucked in that trap. That's not the way that the Bible works. God, because he is perfectly holy, is always judging sin. He is always responding to that which is evil. And ultimately, he's shown us what that looks like through Christ. Let's talk a little bit about what it means for God to be judged. A couple of bullet points here. God's judgment is rooted in his holiness, his love, and his wisdom. God always makes judgments against evil because he is holy, because he is loving, because he is wise. We are not able to know everything about a person or about a situation. So if we were to be the ones to make these judgments, we can be easily tricked. You think about these examples that you see of people who were wrongfully convicted. Uh, I know many of you watched the uh, America's Got Talent video from a couple of weeks ago about the gentleman who was incarcerated for a long period of time and then got out of Angola prison and he was on America's Got Talent and, and was seen in there. Uh, the latest John Grisham book, The Guardians, which is about this person's ministry and, and work to be able to get people out who have been wrongfully incarcerated. We live in a world where people do not always make accurate judgments, but we serve a God for whom that is not the case. His judgments are always right because they come from his love, they come from his holiness, they come from his wisdom. And don't miss this. We would never want to serve or worship a God who did not respond to evil. We would never want to serve or worship a God who failed to respond to evil. What kind of father 
would allow someone to break into their home to spread evil, to cause trouble, and not to respond? What kind of judge would you want who would look at a case, see evil happening, and look the other way? Would you want that kind of father? Would you want that kind of judge? No, we would say that that person is corrupt. We want a God. We want a father. We want a judge who will respond to evil in the world, who will deal with sin in our lives, who will deal when things come in to hurt his people, to hurt his family, to hurt his world, to hurt his children. Moral indifference would actually be an imperfection in God, not a perfection. If we had... Sometimes it comes across like this. Maybe this will make more sense. Sometimes you will hear people say, I could never believe in a God who would send people to hell. You probably have heard language like that. How could you believe in a God? One way, now the language send people to hell is a point of contention that we would want to explain that we want, we'd want to talk our way through that. But here's the other way to respond to that. If there was not a hell in which God punished evil and expelled evil from his creation, would you want that type of God? Would you want a type of God who allowed evil to run rampant? Would you want a God who never dealt with sin and darkness and pain and death? No, you wouldn't want that kind of God. We have a God who responds to evil. The character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. Justice will be done and it will be done by a good and loving and wise and holy Father. That's what we find in Scripture. One other reminder about God's justice before we move on to our, our response to that. One other reminder about this. God's justice is both now and later, and God's justice deals with the church and the world. Because in this moment, our thought could be, go get them, God. Yeah, judge those people out there. All those people on social media, all those people out there, yeah, do, do your work as judge out there. But never forget that when we are judged by the Lord, speaking of the people of God, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. 1 Peter 4.17, a really famous verse here. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God. When you think about God as holy and God as judge, don't begin with the people out there. Begin right here. Begin, begin right here. We need to be really careful about making broad statements about what our world is going through right now, but I think it's safe to say that God is providing some important judgment for the church right now in 2020. Again, I'm not standing up here giving you specifics about exactly. We're not having insights into exactly God's motives or how he's doing these things. But I think we can agree that the church is being judged in a very important way. When God judges his people, what happens is he reveals hypocrisy and he calls us back to him. And as a people, as a church, God has used 2020 to shake us out of some apathy to shake us out of some hypocrisy and say we need to look back to him as the one who is holy and loving and good. And he's calling us to do that. Now, if you have a God who is holy and you have a God who is judge, guess what you need? You need a God who is also savior <laughs> because we're gonna fall short of his holiness and we're gonna stand accountable before him and this is really bad news that there's no way to get out of that, right? That's why you have verse 18. What do you find in verse 18? 
knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Forefathers there is meant to contrast with that earlier statement about God as Father. So our forefathers might pass down to us things that are not holy before God, but God remains perfectly holy. You were ransomed, you were rescued, you were bought out of, even adopted from those feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things of this world like silver or gold, but how? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is where the hard parts of God's character become good news. This is where it shows up. We have a God who is perfectly holy. We have a God who is judge of the whole earth, and every one of us stand accountable before him. But we also have a God who is Savior. This explains why we need him, and it also explains why we can trust him. So before we move on to our our personal response to this, do you believe God is holy? Do you believe God is judge? If you believe those things, do you also know God is savior? Because if we just say, oh yeah, yeah, God's holy, God's judge, I'll be fine, don't go in that, that, that path. Because we also have a God who has made a way for salvation. How's, how's he done that? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus taking on our sin and making a way for salvation. And when we understand that, when we receive God's holiness, when we receive what it is to be made right with him, it changes the way that we live. And this is what I hope will be so helpful for you this week as you think about how do we respond to what's going on in our world. Here's what I want to tell you. When you have a holy God who is also judge, there are two ways that we find from 1 Peter that his people are supposed to respond. Here's the first one. Humble holiness. Humble holiness. Okay, so we're taking this idea that God is holy and God is judge. When he saves us, how does that change the way we live? Number one, humble holiness. Back in verse uh, 16, it talked about that As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then down the very next verse, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, let's get to this next part here. In a world of chaos, humility will always stand out. In a world where everybody is trying to one-up everyone else, in a world where everyone is pushing to the front and pushing other people out of the way, humility will always stand out. That we are humble before God, and we are humble before one another. That we follow the way of our Savior. That we have an attitude like His, who came not to be served, but to serve. God's people, when they understand what it is for him to be holy and judge, God's people will be humble before him and humble before one another. In a world that is full of darkness and evil, holiness will shine like it never has before. You look around and you think, God, why is the world so dark? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much trouble? I can't answer that for you exactly, but what I can tell you is this. The holiness of God will shine through you like it never has before. And here's where we have to be so careful as a church. 
The church in America, for way too long, has pushed forward with a mentality of pride and power, attaching ourselves to political power, attaching ourselves to economic power, using the way of the world, and God is calling us back to humility, Emmaus. In the world that we live in, we will not move forward in pride or power. We will move forward in humility. And here's the other side of that. For way too long, as the church, we have been tempted to be cool, (laughs) to fit in, to follow the pattern of the world. And in the world that we live in right now, God is calling us back to holiness. That when we live holy lives, he will shine through us in a way that has never been possible before. And so what we are saying is we are going to be separated from sin, but not separated from our neighbors. We are going to be dedicated to God, but not dedicated to our personal agendas. This is the life that God is calling us to. This is what God is calling us to as a church, which means as a church, we want to pursue holiness, and we also want to fight for the holiness of those around us. When we look at people around us in the church, we say we are going to fight for that person's holiness because as they are drawn back to the Lord, God is going to be able to shine through us in a way that he never has before. We're going to get rid of this idea of competition. We're going to get rid of this idea of running on and leaving people behind. We're going to say, God, use us in a way that you never have before. Call us to humble holiness. Here's the other side of it, though. He also calls us to what I'm going to call hopeful hustle. Yes, they all start with H. That's okay. Just go with me. So I'm just, I, I feel the need to apologize for that, but it just is what it is. He calls us to humble holiness, but he also calls us to what we're going to refer to as hopeful hustle. Verse 13 begins, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. Hope is a key word in 1 Peter. If you're thinking about the, word, the, the work of 1 Peter, hope is a key word there. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then later in verse 21, it brings up that idea of hope again. Back up here, therefore preparing your minds for actions. That's that great language from the ancient world about they would often wear a long garment that if you were going to begin running, you had to pull up that garment. It's the language, I think even in the, in the King James Version, it may still read, gird up your loins. So grab that fabric, pull it up, and then get ready to run. So it's language for running, it's language for action, but we run as those who run with hope. Here's what we know about this idea of hopeful hustle. When you live in a world where there isn't much hope and you live in a world where there isn't a lot of work to be done, there's not a lot of action. For example, 2020, imagine being shut out of work. Imagine people being kind of kept in their homes. There's, there's not a lot of things to do. And imagine you live in a world where there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope for things to get better. Guess what? Lack of hope and lack of action are a toxic recipe. Because when you mix lack of hope with lack of anything to do, guess what you get? You get exactly what we're watching right now unfold. And so as followers of Jesus, what we have an opportunity to do is to say we will be people of hope and we will be people of action. That God has called us to what we're calling hopeful hustle. We have hope 
that God will make all things right. We trust him as judge. We don't have to make all things right because we can't make all things right. We are not the judge of the universe. He is, and he will make all things right. But that doesn't mean we set by passively. So we hustle to display his justice and love in the world so that people will know him and be drawn to repentance and salvation. What does this look like? I want us to wrap up by looking at Romans chapter 12 because I think Romans chapter 12 is the best picture that I know to point you to right now. Romans chapter 12, these are some verses that I've personally given a lot of attention to over, over the last few weeks. If you're a little uncertain this week about where to go in your personal Bible reading, maybe you feel like you've fallen off the train a little bit on personal Bible reading and haven't done a lot of that, if I could point you back this week to Romans 12, 13, and 14. Really, if I was going to give preference to any of that, I'd give it preference to 12, then 13. If you have time to get to 14, that's a great place to get. But if you need a place to read in God's Word this week, I would, I would have you go right there because it addresses so much of what we're dealing with in our world and in our lives right now. Let's just deal with a couple of verses while we have time this morning, and we're going to wrap up. Verse 14 Bless those, this is Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. There's a good word for us right there. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Post that over everything you think about for social media, about, about how we conduct ourselves. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't you love the real life nature of God's word? Not everybody's going to want to live at peace with you. Some people get life energy off of always being angry at somebody. <laughs> but as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. It's not your job to get revenge on people. We have a God who is holy and judge, and he will take care of that. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, verse 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What have we talked about this morning? We have a God who is perfectly holy, and we have a God who is judge of the whole world. And both of those are good news. We need and we want a God like that. So when we respond to that kind of God, we trust him for salvation. And then we live with humble holiness. And we live with hopeful hustle. Let's be people of hope. Let's be people of humility. Let's be people who shine in the darkness in a way that Romans 12 will allow you to do. I want to wrap up with this quote from J.I. Packer that I love on this concept. J.I. Packer says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. And I hope if you're watching at home, I hope if you're here, you know what it is to be made right with God the judge through Jesus Christ. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. 
What do you think of when you think of God? What kind of being do you think of when you think of God? We have a God who is eternally giving and unchangeably good, who is holy and just in all his ways, and a God who is a loving Father, who has poured that out through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope that gives you a lot of hope. I hope that changes the way you live your life. I hope it changes the way you live this week. Let's pray together. Father, we know that it's tempting sometime when we're talking about your character to hide what we think are the hard parts. This idea of holiness can feel very very prudish or we can have very cold thoughts of you as holy. But God, your holiness is beautiful. It draws us to you. And God, I know this idea that you judge and that you respond to sin, it's probably not very popular in our world. But God, we desperately need that truth. We live in a world where people want justice and we are reminded from your word that you are perfectly just, that you always respond to sin in the right ways. And so God, we say together right now that we trust you. And God, we want to be people of holiness and humility. We want to be people of hope. And we want to be people who are active in the world, sharing your goodness with the world around us. God, I pray that we would not grow tired of doing good. God, I pray that the way that we speak and the way that we act would bring hope and peace and joy to the people around us. And God, I, would, I pray that you would remind us that you are a good father who we can always trust and love. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.